Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan, and today we are talking about wandering. We are talking with avid traveler and explorer, writer, editor, Ted Taylor. Thank you so much for joining today. Hello, everyone, and hello. Thanks, Joy, for having me on today. So great to have you.、Yep. So, we met at the Minka Summit this、mm-hmm. year in、mm-hmm. the deep rural mountains of Kyoto. And you've lived in Kyoto for a long time, is that right? I've been in Kyoto since 2006. 2006, yeah. And we're going to talk about、uh, some of your writing projects and some of your wandering in Kyoto. You were also living in Totori. When、mm-hmm. was that? Was that recently? I was, no, I was in Totori. That was my initial, initial post, I guess, 1994 when I arrived here. So I was in Totori for those first 12 years, basically, before moving down here. Yeah. I came across this beautiful、uh, video that you did of the Totori sunset、uh, Kirin Shishimai. Shinshimai.、Mm-hmm. What, what is this? Can you just introduce that? Yeah, this was part. I was sent on what was called a fam tour. And fam tours, I mean, a little very quickly about that is that during this time of reshuffling in the tourist industry here, a lot of local mun- municipalities were trying to create craft、uh, tours around their area. So Totori invited me up to take part in a, a four day trip, which was essentially mostly kayaking down the coast. And there's an Park up there. So it was mainly walking and walking along that. But at one point, one of the、uh, things that we were able to do is at the end of the day, we were able to go watch these performers、uh, practice. And then after practicing, they took us out to the beach nearby and then they did their performance on the beach for us with the sun setting behind, as you could see from the, from the video. So it was a good event.、Yeah. It was a great way to get, I think that was a, you know,、yeah. it's a plus for tourism, obviously, is to get involved with the locals and anybody can go anywhere they want, but to actually be able to, you know, To hang out with people and meet people is, is a very unique experience. Yeah, it's gorgeous.、Uh, you don't have too many videos on your, on your channel,、um, but you have a few really interesting videos that I hope we'll see more of, like this. I love this one.、Mm-hmm. Beautiful time of day to be on the beach taking in something like this.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done a few of these fam tours, familiarization tours, right?、Mm-hmm. That's correct.、Yeah. Um, when I first was asked, I was like, fam, so I should take my family? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and you hit all the family restaurants, you get to go to Gusto and yeah, Coco yeah, and all these places. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now. It's, it's nice because it's really a way. I mean, and, and it's, it's interesting to see what the local think, what they have pride in on, the, you know, on their own, because obviously we have our own ideas of what we want to see and what's important from a foreign eye. But it's really interesting to see what the, what the locals want to protect and preserve. So that's a good thing. Yeah. This was a great experience as well. And in that same line, like we were, because when we were there during performance, I mean, these guys are drinking and, you know, they're having beers and they're smoking cigarettes. And it's just, it's just the usual thing. It's just, you know, working, working guys just relax. But they were asking, do you think the foreigners would want us to stop all this? This is part of the, this is kind of part of the culture. It's part of the life. It's definitely worth showing. You know, it just made it more at、yeah. home. It was much more of a fun, fun and friendly experience that way. It showing, wasn't so, so the real, the reality. I,、mm-hmm. I did a, a fam tour、uh, in, I think it was around the Setoda area. So,、mm-hmm. around Onomichi, Hiroshima area, one of the island areas.、Mm-hmm. And we did this great tour. We did Zazen meditation. I was really freaked out by everybody getting hit by sticks. I'd never done it before. 
Um, and then it was like a really deep experience, right? And then at the end of the experience, you see the monk who led the meditation head off to the local convenience store on mm -hmm. his moped. Yes. And like, to me, that that's part of the experience, right? That's, you've got your intersection between real Japan, modern life, normal people and cultural experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Those those meshing points are often really interesting. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, it's in that, in that sort of interstitial tissue that that's where the truth really is and the reality of this country, you know? So package tours, um, sorry, which we just allowed to get next month, um, you probably won't see a whole lot of that, you know? So that's the thing. It's nice to get out in the field. And that's why it's great that these local, you know, areas are trying to do this and, and quite frankly, bring a bit of money back into their, you know, in their depopulated areas or rapidly depopulating areas. Yeah. Uh, for the Minka Summit, it was the first time I'd been back to Kyoto in mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. I was avoiding it like the plague mm -hmm. because of the overcrowding. And mm -hmm. even when I visited uh, end of last year, I was really disappointed that still it was lots of crowds, like school mm -hmm. groups and stuff. But yet you read in the newspaper that Kyoto is struggling. A lot of the uh, tourism related businesses have been struggling mm -hmm. because they don't have enough customers. So how do you get, I mean, this isn't just a question for you, but a bigger question. How do we get that quality of experience without all the crowds in the most popular places, right? Yeah. So I was going to like the most famous temples right when they open at 6 a.m. Yes, yes. And it was great because I was there with other locals who go there and do Raggio Taiso. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think if you like work your way around the busiest times, you can still enjoy it, right? Oh, for certain. And I mean, yeah, I highly recommend then, you know, next time you come to Kyoto, you should come in August. But you probably want to bring a little handkerchief, you know, because it's going to be a bit unpleasant. But yeah, it'll definitely be quieter. It'll definitely be quieter then. So, yeah, yeah. like I love these um, videos that you did. And it was part of the Deep Kyoto project. Mm -hmm. So you actually edited a book of mm -hmm. essays, was it? Tell us about Deep Kyoto. Yeah, I co-edited the book with um, Michael Lamb, who is the he's the editor of the Deep Kyoto uh, website, which many people probably know. So he was the primary editor. And then he and I have been friends for quite a long time. So he invited me along thinking it'd be a fun project to do together. So, so the ebook came out in 2014 as an ebook version. And then the hard book version, uh, the hardcover, the actual physical book took a little bit more time to get together. And we made some amendments and that took a bit of time and other people that were expressing interest and didn't inevitably get involved. And then main, and, and the videos were made during that time. So I know you and I have talked in a private conversation, you had mentioned it was not to see people with masks and everything, but you know, don't let the dates of that, that time signature of 2021 fool you. Those, those videos were made probably in 2016 or 17, I think, quite a while ago. So, but they were shot beautifully. There's a, a local filmmaker, a Swiss fellow called uh, Roger Walsh or Rohi Walhi, Roger Walhi. There's Robert Yellen. And uh, Roger is he's just, his photography is incredible and he's a, he's a beautiful filmmaker. So we work together with him and we're lucky to have him uh, shoot this for us.
Yeah, it was great. I, I love this one. Of course, I have mm -hmm. had Robert Yellen on the show mm -hmm. a, few, a couple of times. I'd love to have him on again. Mm -hmm. He always has new new stories about amazing pottery that he has in his gallery. And mm -hmm. he just has such a deep knowledge. And I, I didn't go on the philosopher's walk that he talks about in this video. But next time I go to Kyoto, I'm definitely going to go. I yeah. love what he says about it, that it's like going into the river. It's never the same. It's mm -hmm. always a different experience. I thought that was beautiful. Absolutely. Well, maybe next time you do a podcast with him, you can uh, do a walking. You can do one in motion. And uh, his forearms are strong to hold the selfie stick as you go along. So I think it'll work out. So yeah. you also just passed by, popped up for just a second. And he's, he's a well-known yeah. food writer in town. So I think, yeah, there he is again, petting his, his uh, pet. Cow. Um, I think he would be also another great guest for you. Yeah, I would love to have him on. Uh, his video mm -hmm. I also found really fascinating um, about the old markets. Ni Nishijin mm -hmm. market, is it? Uh, Nish yeah, yeah. Nishiki market. So rainbow market these days. Yeah, exactly. And he was so. talking about in the old, so when you go into the, the covered mall here, uh, you've got an old painting of like roosters and stuff. And in the olden days, it used to be uh, where people would go and get their straw uh, slippers and hats. And then it's just been mm -hmm. around for so long. But as someone interested yeah. in food, I, I love yeah. seeing him sample all the traditional foods. Yeah. That was really fun. These short videos connect to stories in the book. Uh, yeah, they're, ex they're excerpts from the chapter. Yes, in indeed. So there should be four on, on my YouTube page. And uh, yeah, and actually a full disclosure, John Ashburn didn't actually do his own voice. That was Michael Lamb because uh, we just couldn't get, we couldn't get connected with John. He was too busy. So Michael tried to fake it. Well, he didn't quite, he didn't want to fake a Yorkshire accent, but he, uh, he did his best. <laughs> so. um, well, yeah. I, I heard Robert's voice. So Robert did mm -hmm. his own, his own narrative. That was nice. Yes. Yes. And then you, uh, this writer, she's talking about the area called Gojo. I yeah, Jen Peter. Mm -hmm. the city. Yeah, Gojo is, um, I mean, I think Sanjo and Shijo avenues, we'll call them, were, are probably the best known in terms of tourism. It's very central. And Gojo, one major boulevard to the south. And I, it, what, I can't recall what we actually shot in the video, but in the chapter she's talking about in August, um, there's a huge pottery fair up Gojo. And so that main broad avenue is lined on both sides with little booths and you have potters from all over the place come in and, and sell things for quite affordable prices, things. So if you have any money left after seeing Robert Yellen, you could go and do a wander. But, um, but there's also in August as well, a little bit closer toward Guillaume, there's a section that was always considered uh, sort of the lair of the dead. And there's a lot of temples that were, uh, were you know, um, have stories associated with the dead and including a few interesting ghost stories. So that is more contemporary I saw, I saw this post of yours about Guion, the mm -hmm, Guion area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was for Kiltography event, which just ended a little way up and just a few weeks back, I believe, or not too long ago, which they held every year. This was the 10th year, I, I, I think. So yeah, I happened to be biking by and that caught my eye, obviously. Yeah, so. and you've you've written for Kyoto Journal. Yes. Yes, exactly. So this is the current issue of Kyoto Journal. I'm a contributing editor for them, and um, yeah, this is they sort of it's a bit back and forth at the moment between um, 
doing a, a print version and an online version. And that's mainly a, a side effect, of course, that the postal service has gotten a bit, um, well, irregular, let's say, with their policies for shipping things abroad. So um, they're trying to cut their losses a bit and do a fewer print runs at the moment. So I'm not sure what their future ideas are. But yeah, this was about uh, the river, basically water in Kyoto. And just as of COVID, in particular, the first year of COVID, I thought it'd be interesting to follow the Kamogawa from the from its source up in the mountains all the way down to where it meets the you know, four rivers essentially all come together about midway to Osaka. So I spent about three and a half days walking. And then this this version here is a very slimmed down version of that piece, I think from 7,000 words to like 1,400. But the rest of it, the fuller piece is on my blog if people are interested in seeing that. It's a three-parter or four-parter actually. Yeah. Speaking of the Kamogawa, mm -hmm. I did enjoy that short video from Deep Kyoto mm -hmm. that you have That's on your, your YouTube mm -hmm. channel. Um, yes, this yes. is something I love about Hiroshima as well, is the riversides and how the riverside greenery, the access to the water, it's just a part of normal life for local people. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I really love about Hiroshima. And I noticed that when I was in Kyoto too, this beautiful riverside area, it just enhances any visitor or local experience, I think. Oh, sure, because we have, I mean, it's, a, it's essentially a seven kilometer long park right down the middle of the city. And Kyoto is quite blessed with a lot of green spaces as you can see you know there that's shimogamo or lead up to shimogamo a shrine right there but um but to have this long park through the entire city it's fantastic and it's also great for bicycle commuting because you don't have to really worry about traffic obviously and that as i've i encourage people both in my writing and in my guiding to just take some time and walk the river because there's loads of things happening you know you see wacky old men doing strange calisthenics um and then you see a lot of the students as you know, everyone's got very limited uh, living facilities and very small that you see people out on the river playing saxophone and, you know, musicians actually practicing because it's the only place they can find. And yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of life on the river. I've seen, I've seen bull, um, I guess, patonk, you know, and I've seen croquet and I've seen all sorts of things being played there. So it's just a great mm -hmm. thing, you know, just to stroll that river and see what you come across. Yeah, isn't it mm -hmm. fun? Uh, mm -hmm. Basically, under every bridge is a musician. Mm -hmm. uh, most most weekends, at least in in the Hiroshima area as well. Yeah, and they don't even have an open guitar case. They're just playing for the love of it, really. You know? No, they're just practicing because mm -hmm. they got kicked out of their apartment, maybe. Exactly. Or, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely right. Now you had a, a big project. You were a part of the Lonely Planets Japan experiences as well. Yes, yes, and that's just come out just this. Well, it's it's come out in in most of the world just this month, actually. So yeah, and I was responsible for Kyoto and Nara as well, and I added a few little bits out in the edge lands, I'll call them, just because I I prefer the countryside to be honest. And um, but I did, yeah, and it, actually going down the Kamogawa by bicycle was something I highly recommended in this book, and there's little maps and things. So. It's very much uh, in line with the title, Experience Japan, because I can't really speak for the folks at Lonely Planet, but I presume that they recognize that most of us, when we travel now, we're using online resources rather than their guidebooks, you know, which are pretty bulky and heavy to carry. So they, they wanted to create something that can be used in tandem with, you know, using your, your mobile and, and information on your phones and computers and things. So this is literally what it sounds like, how to experience, how to sort of stack up things and places and, and create the best, you know, bang for your buck as you, if you will. 
Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, and I, I follow this podcast uh, in the states offline, and they're talking mm-hmm. about getting away from your devices, getting mm-hmm. away from online. And I, I find myself because I most of my life, like most of us, is online. Mm-hmm. I find myself when I travel, I like to have just a paper map or or a, a book, as long as it's not too heavy, or a yeah. few notes that I've jotted down from talking with other people, mm-hmm. and just wander my way around without being connected too much to my phone. And- oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, digital versions of things are, in terms of traveling, it's very difficult to go back. You read something you try to quickly go back, whereas you can't just thumb back to page 896 um, and find, okay, there was that one, one thing. And I, in my own personal um, travel, what I do is I often buy guidebooks from, I, I'm again, not no criticism of Lonely Planet, but one thing that they don't do as well as they used to do is their older books have a lot of great little sidebars that have really great stories and wonderful firsthand accounts of things. And it's, there's not as many of that anymore. And so I find myself when I'm going to a place for the first time, I'll actually look up, look for one of their older titles just to have that by my side, because obviously all the information is obsolete, but those tales live on and they're just, you know, they're good fun and good, a good laugh as you go. So. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you. And then I, I love to go through like a used bookshop and mm-hmm. find an old an old book, a uh, mm-hmm. travel book, and you can find like coffee stains. Yeah, you yeah. can find, you know, smudge marks from where they found a good eatery, mm-hmm. uh, notes in the in the side of the page. I just, yeah. I love that. You know, it, it like enhances the experience for exactly. me. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I, I had a great experience before I came to Japan. I lived in Santa Barbara for the last three years that I was in the States, and I worked at a secondhand bookshop and my the owner would buy a lot of things at auctions. So when he bring them in, that was my job is actually to clean them up and go through everything and throw away any loose paper or anything. And man, I'm finding stuff from like, you know, I'm finding reviews of books from the 1940s and the times and things like that. Actually, I collected a treasure trove of things that I just found that was brilliant. So it's, yeah, I love that, that the book itself has a history as well and has had its own life as well. So yeah. it's great, you know. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we have a great question from Wendy, uh, mm-hmm. one of the organizers of the Minka Summit. Thanks, Wendy. Uh, great to see all the places you contribute your thinking and words. Any particular advice for what to explore in Nara, particularly towns with Kominka? Kominka. Um, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, that area, it's, Nara is a funny, a funny place. It's a mixed bag because the fact that it is so close to Osaka and Kyoto, it can be a commuter town. So unfortunately, so much has been built upon. And, uh, you know, especially around the train stations. And there's a lot of busier roads that are going through things, which which have taken away some of the charm. But again, it, it's what my friend Joel often calls the edge lands. And it's just the things sort of off to the side, shuffled off to the side. So I think if you're heading, you know, say to the east of Nara, where that whole mountain line is, everything sort of east and south of Nara is quite lovely. And I'm quite fond of um, the Tenbi area. And Japan's oldest walking course, the Yamanobe no Michi, is, it starts from Tenbi and it, it continues south from there. And that's a fantastic place because it's almost like a greatest hits package of rural Japan where you've got shrines and, and burial mounds and temples and, and kominka and little villages and things. And those little shops you know that you can drop your coins in there and and take take some meek on or some persimmon home 
and and even continuing south from there down in like Osaka area has some amazing amazing stuff but again you have to get away from the train line you have to head out to the east and um you'll find some wonderful little villages and little hamlets in there with some just some great character yeah awesome a mm -hmm. uh, great comment from fukuoka wanderer i love the idea of using older tour guide mm. books yeah it's it's amazing like i mm -hmm. i really enjoyed that and uh wendy's saying perfect uh she was asking more about the prefecture than the city yeah oh i, um, I was you very have, sorry about the prefecture yeah. actually yeah so getting away from the city exactly yeah yeah you've done some uh really interesting walks i want to touch on the ones in tohoku mm -hmm. i was reading through your blog really powerful mm -hmm. um of course experience you were there in 2014 is that right mm -hmm. yeah so just three years after the tsunami decided to go and walk the entire coastline um just again to see what's what's how the recovery had been going how things had been looking and uh so i that was an intended it was going to be a, about 10 days by foot i was going to go and i thought yeah i can go through i can talk to people i can hear their stories but sadly as you might expect there were no stories nor people nor places to live everything was completely devastated and empty at the time as you can see from the photo there so i i changed my my mo and i made it a hitchhiking trip because in hitchhiking obviously i was able to get rides and i was able to get stories from people and that was that was very eye-opening about a lot of things and um the, the punchline of that whole thing is my intention was i wanted to walk right to the border of the exclusion zone for the nuclear reactor and um so i rented a car for that because at first I thought, well, I can go down there and then I could catch a bus back. Wait, there's going to be no bus. So I, um, I wound up driving and I'm, I'm looking at the GPS and I'm looking at Fukushima reactor coming closer and closer and closer. And then I actually drove past it. And there actually, at that time, there was no guard person or a fence telling me I couldn't go. So that was a bit, um, a bit frightening that I actually drove right up to the, to the front gate and then basically went home and checked myself with a private Geiger counter to just to make sure I wasn't irradiated and everything. And, and uh, again, this was three years after the, the, the situation. So things have calmed down. But I think that last day, um, the I mean, the devastation to the north from the tsunami was was just heartbreaking. But the nuclear reactor, um, the exclusionary area from the accident was quite interesting because there was I'm passing, you know, convenience stores that weren't boarded up or shuttered, and you're looking through the windows, and they they had been closed for three years, but you could see the the shelves were fully stocked, and it was again, it was a literal ghost town. You could just see people just left; they had just walked, and everything was the way it was. Um, so that was very that was very moving in its own right as well. Yeah, um, I I pulled this part from your blog. Uh, if you if I were asked what defines my life. At this particular phase, I would say that it is to research place, to see how a particular place defines the culture, beliefs, and lifestyles of those who live there. And that I just found that so poignant, especially when you're walking through Tohoku, trying mm -hmm. to connect with people, trying to connect with their stories. Mm -hmm. um, but it felt like mostly it was absent, right? And that yeah. There was no sense of place there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I felt that I mean, one of my favorite books on Japan is Alan Booth's book, A Road to Sata, and he did that walk in 76, I believe. And I, when I read his books, I realized that, you know, he was talking to the storytellers and the storytellers like Alan himself, they're, they're long gone, but the stories remain. But 
that's the thing is how long are these stories going to be there? You know, these stories are not going to be around in another generation. I think these are the interesting things to seek out. And again, it comes back to what I said at the top of this conversation that it's really connecting it with place is fine, but it's connecting with the people in that place, which is more important because it's the people that define the place really. And it's, you know, it, it's the life that's embodied in that place being lived through the people, if you will, um, that that's the spirit of the place really. So when those people are gone and everybody's moved into Osaka or Tokyo or everywhere else, it's, um, you know, that a lot of that's going to be, is going to be lost. So that's why I do hope that a lot of, you know, our mutual friends and companions from the, from the Minka summit and people that we just know in general, I, you know, I hope that that's something that they try to preserve rather than just the, the house itself. And I know a lot of, I mean, no, we both know that most of these people are really trying to engage and sort of, I almost said insert themselves into the community. That's not quite right, but assimilate into the community. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I think it's important that they can keep these tales alive and, and, and tell their own children, you know, how things used to be here. So I think that's, that's yeah. the most important thing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, we have a comment from Dave Olson here. Mm -hmm. Great to see you, Dave. He says, no persimmons for Ted though. True. A little trivia. True. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm allergic. Yeah, I'm allergic to persimmons. So Dave knows that exactly. Yeah. So, which is a shame because they're a beautiful fruit. <laughs> yeah, they are mm -hmm. very good. Um, but it's a shame. And you have to be careful of some foods too. How about persimmon mm -hmm. dyes? Recently, I met someone yeah. doing natural dyes. If that you wear me, something right? with persimmon oh. dye. Oh, no, that, that should be all right. As long as okay. I don't lick it, I guess I'm probably okay. No, I don't, I don't imagine it's, yeah, I think that's okay. So it's just the actual eating of that. So, but okay. yeah. Uh, speaking of, we were just talking about the Minka Summit. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about your house because ah. your house has a really interesting history. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, my house is not that old, but it used to be, I I had always thought I wanted to have a house that had a tea room and and Kyoto, obviously it's, it's reasonably easy to find though. Not easy, but it's less challenging than other places in the country. And um, yeah, I was, I was lucky to find a place that actually used to be a culture center. And um, I don't know much beyond what was be besides the tea element, but we are lucky that we do have a tea house here. And I, um, I, I had one nice thing about the book. We did some basic renovation. We did, um, as you'd expect, we actually enlarged the kitchen and modernized it. And we did the same with the bath. And then um, basically um, did some underfloor heating and a few things to keep it a little bit more, you know, a little bit of a nudge toward the Western side of things and the more comfortable side of things. But we left all the Japanese things alone. We didn't want to touch any of the details or the elements of the house. Um, but so what's interesting is this particular house was in a, um, it was in a book, again, sometime in the 90s, I think, and of tea houses throughout Kyoto. This is the name of the book, if anybody can read that, it's backwards, but I can, if you can see that. But this is actually from the garden, looking toward the tea house itself. One thing I'm remiss that I didn't do is I wish I had had prepared photos of my house because what we did is with the wooden elements, like these two wooden doors that you see here, we actually um, put windows. So we've kept, I'll show when I get to the tea, uh, the tea room itself. So this is the more of the, the living facilities. This is the entrance in this picture as you approach. And that bottom is also the entrance um, floor off to the bottom picture there. And then, yeah, these are the other rooms Beautiful. throughout the house. Yeah, so we've kept a very traditional Japanese style. And so the tea room itself ah, is on this last page. And what we've done, 
this, sorry. But um, basically all the wood in here and the wood all through around the sides, we've, we've basically created windows. And um, so we've hardware, of course. So anytime we want to replace, if anybody ever wanted to do tea there, they could just basically put all the same boards back up. But um, our corner of the house that we never use, and I think both her, she and her daughter, who's 10 now, were a little bit spooked by it because it was just this dark corner back there. And, um, and it made a lot of sense. We went back and forth for a while on how to do it, but we finally essentially frames for the doors. But rather than having the wood on them, we put um, and it, uh, to spend time in. I just had major works in front of my house the last two days, and it was the only place I could really go to be sane because it was it was so noisy throughout the rest of the house. But and I know Dave Olson, who just you know ch chimed in about the persimmons earlier. Yeah, he when he stayed with me during the time of the Minka summit, I know he loved that room. He was usually perched in there for a good part of the morning. So yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah, we're very lucky. We've got a really nice house and locations quite good. And my heart is in the countryside. Regretted living in Kyoto, but part of me really wishes I hadn't story for many ways, just for the for the natural beauty. And I'm I'm more of a nature person. I, I need that my time outside. So Living in Kyoto has been fantastic. The conveniences here that, you know, the variety of foods and restaurants and just experiences that you can have here. My community of friends here is fantastic. But in some ways, I, you know, I find I'm literally sitting here in the middle of a city and I found longer COVID has been dragging on the more and more it's, it's sort of driving me a bit mad, especially when you have major construction in front of your house for two days. Yeah. Um, I feel like you can't escape the sound and the noise and just the people around you. So, but that's just, you know, that's, that's all part of it, really. You have to choose your yeah. experience. And, one, one nice thing, even in the bigger, uh, busier cities like Kyoto, as long as you are an explorer of back streets, mm -hmm. you can usually find quiet places, interesting people to talk to mm -hmm. away from the crowds, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you think? Yes, correct. Absolutely right. And I've said, I've, I've in Japan, that is because I think, you know, places like Tokyo and the bigger cities, you don't see as much life lived outside. But if you do get into those back lanes of Kyoto, um, you know, you'll see the old timers out there sitting on a stool in front of their house, just watching the world. And you see the kids out there playing. And I, I, there's so much life outside in Kyoto. And I think that's, I mean, it's, it's more so than anywhere else I've seen for the most part and in, in terms of urban Japan anyway. So it's really wonderful. So again, besides, you know, getting on the bike and getting down, going down the river, you know, it's great to just sort of go through these back streets and these side streets and, uh, and see a bit of life. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got two comments, uh, one from Wendy. How do you suggest we go about the important work of keeping the tales alive? Talking to uh, local people and going to rural places, maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just, it, those things take time, I guess, because you need to, I think there's like two, it's almost a two tiered answer. I think that when you're a foreigner in particular and you're encountering Japanese people for the first time, at least in a smaller community, a lot of them are very outgoing and, and they're, they're very happy to tell you a lot of things, you know? So you'll hear a lot of interesting things initially, I think from them, but as time goes on and you develop relations with people, then you really st start to get into the deeper, deeper stuff. And you hear the really, really old things. Cause I think, you know, they're not going to share when I say tales, I mean, just regular, you know, slice of life, how we used to live, how my grandmother used to do things kind of tales, but also, you know, the, the old legends and the folklore and things like that. And those are things, obviously, that's going to take some time to get at, because people are not going to be 
wanting to share their superstitions for the same reason we try not to talk about our religion, you know, when we're with people at dinner. So it's that sort of thing. So I think it's just literally time and engagement with the community, engagement with people. And, and I think just showing that you're also, again, you're invested in the community that you've, you know, you have, you are making an attempt to assimilate and live life to the best of your ability to, you know, on, on terms of the locals, you know, as I say that, as we've all renovated our houses to make them more Western, but I think you know what I mean. So, um, well, well, you haven't knocked it down and no, built no. a new one, so no, that's no, no, the no. main thing, right? No, no, no. Definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Uh, Dave, Dave says, uh, history is made by the stories we capture, create, and importantly, document and share. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Dave. Yeah, yeah, and that's right. Yeah, and Dave's doing doing a lot of that himself, which is great. You know, we more, need more people like him. Uh, going back to the older objects, uh, Fukuoka Wanderer says, I was involved in Global Goals Jam Session, where people were passing over the old objects accompanied by family stories that came with them, mm. written out for the new owner. That's really fabulous absolutely. way yeah. of passing on stories, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I know um, Stuart, you know, one of the organizers of, of the Minka, he had a blog detailing his, his uh, process with redoing his Minka. And I think there's a number of stories like that from him where he's receiving things from and people in the community. And, I, you know, I believe he got a lot of the story that came along with that as well. So that's very important. So, yeah. Yeah, I toured uh, Stuart's house during mm -hmm. the Minka Summit, and he has this section of beautiful antiques that he salvaged from houses mm -hmm. about to be demolished. And I know Alex Kerr has done similar things in Kyoto. Mm -hmm. uh, he would be passing by an old house being demolished and see things that needed to be preserved, beams or antiques. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's really sad that there isn't more salvaging going on and too many beautiful old things and old houses coming down way too fast. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the, yeah. I mean the detailing and the things in the woodwork and the little features that are just so delicate. You know, I mean, again, I was in my tea room yesterday and I noticed a feature of wood that I'd never seen before, and I've been in this place for eight years, and I just think that there's such subtle, subtle things that could be saved. You know, and I always think the same thing. You know, when I'm biking past the construction site when, it, when one of these old, you know, old houses is being knocked down here. Um, but I'm never really brave enough to ask, you know, can I have that or can I jump in there? And I think maybe I should, because really, if you don't get really so. And I, I remember back my um, I was I my my wife now is Singaporean, but I was married to a Japanese woman. And I know that in her family, there was a um, one of her relatives had passed away and they were going to knock down the house. And they had actually made us that offer. Do you want to come down and go through and you can grab anything that you want? And unfortunately, we were about to go to the States. For a visit so we missed the window to do that but it's i just was thinking god you know the treasures that would have been in there um and we just never got we never got the opportunity unfortunately we lost that chance because as we know they're just going to go and get burned somewhere you yeah. know and then yeah. i was excited to talk with andrea carlson about what the work that they're doing dismantling still good minka which are kind of on the chopping block mm -hmm. and sending them abroad to be reassembled in other countries. I'd never even thought of that. Yeah. Um, but the whole way that Minka are put together so you can disassemble them mm -hmm. without destroying them is such mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even domestically too. I mean, I think we've seen Minka, you know, that have been moved around and castles and things. It's just things, I mean, it's true. I, you know, the way I always understood it, and this is maybe not new, new 
to a lot of the viewers now, but but the fact that things could had a chance to wiggle a bit during an earthquake, that things weren't, you know, if things that are fixed, they're going to fall. But if things are allowed to dance a bit, then there's a bit more give in the structure and it's more likely to survive those big quakes. So, um, yeah, so, so yeah, I think to disassemble and move things around would be great. And even just a room, you know, I mean, I'm so happy I have a tea house, but I don't know, maybe if this house ever gets knocked down, I can't imagine it. We can maybe just move the tea house somewhere, keep that in the back of a garden somewhere in Totori, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. And uh, I know Alex Alex Kerr was talking about that. Uh, it's been going on for centuries mm -hmm. around Japan, moving moving structures. Yeah. And Asby Brown also talks about that in his book, how yes. big temples with huge beams mm -hmm. would mm -hmm. be moved to a new location because maybe there was a landslide or a fire or something. Mm -hmm. I, can you even imagine? So incredible. Oh, just work. Sorry, I got to I got to plug in. Yeah, just okay. I can imagine. I could totally imagine. Or I, I mean, I can't imagine. And I, you know, my old house in when I lived up in Yonago, as I said, this house was built only in 1986. But thankfully, not it's a it's not a concrete monstrosity like a lot of things being built then. But um, the you know the house we had in Yonago was an, was probably early Showa, so it was probably built in the 1930s or so, and it survived the war, obviously. And it and um, but I would sit there, and we in the Engawa, in the you know the hallway that goes around the outside, we had a single beam that went the length of the house, and I'm thinking you just can't find trees this big anymore. You know, I mean they're just not out there. So there's no way you can replace this house or have it rebuilt the way it was. You know, from from scratch, I, you just don't have the wood for it anymore. Yeah, and well, not in Japan anyway. You could probably have it shipped in from elsewhere, but that's not the point, is it? Yeah, so, we're, um, we're having that issue in Miyajima. Actually, they're rebuilding mm -hmm. the giant Tori Gate, the old Tori, are they? Are they? and the original beams. It has to be rebuilt every now and again, every hundred uh -huh. years, I would imagine. Uh -huh. Um, but the the original trunks that they used for that giant Tori, you cannot find trees like that anymore. No, in no. Japan, right? No. Do you know what they're going to do with the wood or the components to that? You have any idea? Are they going to farm those out to other shrines? I guess you, yeah. I I'd love to find out. It's yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit mysterious. Uh, Robert Yellen says everybody buy Ted's edited book, Deep Walks Kyoto. Thanks for the, <laughs> the shout out, Robert. It's great to have you here. <laughs> Thanks, Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Fukuoka Wonder says, uh, start a salvaging company. Sadly, might be a bigger market overseas than in Japan. Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's the thing when you see these houses, I mean, again, throughout the city, you know, all these, these machia here, they're coming down. It's the same thing, the wood and the beams, they're just, uh, yeah, God, I don't know where they go, but they're not being reused. I'm sure nobody's repurposing that wood. I mean, I, the reason I brought up um, Miyajima is just because with Issei, that's my understanding is when they rebuild the shrine every 20 years, that I believe they take, because that's also, that's also very good wood, it's only 20 years old after all, but they, they are sending it out to other shrines that are needing a bit of uh, TLC. I mean, it's a it's a really sacred, holy island. Oh, so yeah. any anything to do with Itsukushima floating mm -hmm. shrine should mm -hmm. be reused somewhere else because it's so meaningful, right? Yeah, and, and you know, that reminds me of a story. Just a few weeks ago, I was doing a walk up in the northeast corner of the city uh, around Manchuin, and you know, we were joking about going to see the, the Manchus, you know, the Manchurians. But um, they they were in Manchuin, which is a very old temple. They were actually building an entirely new structure. And I asked the the, the priest there about that, and he said actually that um, in at the time of the Meiji Restoration, when um, 
you know, Shinto and Buddhism was violently separated like Siamese twins. They were basically, um, they had knocked down a lot of Buddhist sites and a lot of, a lot of Buddhist structures and symbols were destroyed or damaged um, during that period. And they actually, there was a structure that had been destroyed at that time that they're rebuilding now. And the reason they're able to rebuild and finally rebuilding it after 150 years is actually one of the major hospitals in town was renovated and redone. So the wood and the components from the hospital were building, which I found amazing. You know? So it was as if essentially the, the hospital has donated an entire part of their building to the, to the temple itself to be rebuilt. And it, I mean, it's being built as a temple and it's got the nice look that we all know so well, but it's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. So if you get up to Manchuin sometime after, I don't know, a few more months, I'd say toward the end of the year, you'll probably be able to see that. And it's beautiful, you know, and it smells great, all that fresh wood. So yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, another area not far from Kyoto that you seem to go on wanders regularly is Wakasakaido. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, often sort of, but kind of incidentally, yeah, yeah. The, um, so the Wakasakaido is actually part of the Sabakaido, and the Sabakaido was the old mackerel route that went up to the Sea of Japan. Um, and in, historically, not only did it bring fish down, uh, and there's a stone marker actually at the Machiyanagi Bridge, you can see which was the southern end of the road. But the road goes way back in time. And in fact, at the time of the Nara period, so we're talking about the, you know, the eighth century, they would bring, um, that's where the, the envoys from, the, from mainland uh, China and Korea were coming through. So it's amazing flow of just not, not only fish, but in those days was actually cultural relics. And you see a lot of amazing Buddhist statuary along the way. And so the Sabakaido is actually, it's a collective term for five different roads. And the most famous one, the actual, what everybody calls the Sabakaido is the mountain route that goes from Kurama uh, up and over to Obama city. And, but the other, the, um, the Wakasa basically follows, I think it's route three, six, seven that comes around and comes down to, you know, through Obama, through Kutsuki, a town called Kutsuki, and then through Obama, uh, sorry, Ohara into, uh, into Kyoto proper. So that wasn't an ideal walk because it was ma mainly roads. But there's some fantastic little villages, and I did it in the winter, so there was a lot of snow, so that added a bit of charm that way. Yeah, there you go. So, but. Oh, it looks beautiful, and you mm -hmm. caught a beautiful minka there mm -hmm. in your picture as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great little, there's some fun, just great villages through there, and they're all mainly minka, and a lot of monkeys as well. So don't tell yeah. Chuck. I noticed that uh, when we were in Hanase Village for the Minka Summit, um, that Stuart was talking about the roads being uh, covered during one of the big storms, the mm -hmm. landslides, but they could go the other way if mm -hmm. they needed to get to a store. And I think that's maybe along the same side where you did walking in Obama. Yeah, Obama yeah. Side? There's a number of routes in there, but yeah, from basically where Stuart, where Hanase is, that there's another road that goes due east through a town called Kuta. And, and around Kuta, just north of there is where Chuck Kaiser's got his farm. I don't know if you've had a chance to interview I've him. I've been. Yeah. I've been out there. Yeah. yeah it's beautiful around, area. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so that road, it carries on and it meets up with that one road and you can, you know, you can bypass and go into Kyoto proper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Hanase pass is a bit, is a bit rough. It can be a bit rough, so... Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pamela has joined from Facebook. Uh, we love Miyajima and visit every time we go to Japan to see relatives in Asaminami. Where are some of the favorite hikes or places to visit in summer in Hiroshima area? I could go on about yeah, that. Ted, have you ever been to Hiroshima? 
Oh yeah, yeah, M many times, many times, of course. So, I mean, yeah. I think I don't know much about Hiroshima. I just think it's the—is it the Taishaku Gorge? Is that one? Is a beauty, and then Taishaku, where they also have the giant salamanders that you probably saw in Totori as well, right? Yeah, yeah, Richard's work as well. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that one, and then there's also just Mount Misen. I think is a fantastic walk. Um, to I mean, in those Sandankyo is also really beautiful. Sandankyo Gorge, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I don't and know. then there's so many islands to explore. So mm -hmm. uh, I did a women's event a couple of weeks ago in Mitarai, a beautiful historical mm -hmm. port mm -hmm. town uh, with a dark past, but a very interesting entrepreneurship vibe now uh, mm -hmm. with trying to revive the town. Uh, like so many rural towns around Japan, they're really struggling to find new residents, right? Um, which is I was trying to recreate um, travel on the Inland Sea because he his book, The Inland Sea, was published in 1971, I believe. So I was trying to time it for the 20th or the 50th anniversary of his publication. But unfortunately, with COVID, things have sort of slowed down a fair bit. But I tried to recreate as many of the islands that rich, revisit the islands that he went to, as well as expand it out to the art islands, because that would hopefully bring in a bit more interest for people, you know, from the contemporary art, Ben Essay stuff, Naoshima and Teshima and those places like that. But Mitarai was fantastic, and, and Donald Ritchie has some great writing on, on Mitarai, if I recall. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to read that again. It's been a while since I've read mm -hmm. his stuff. Um, but finding information about the backstory of that area, what happened to all the women who mm. were working in the geisha houses, and, and yeah, how yeah. were they a part of the community, and, and maybe who are their descendants now, and how are the descendants uh, dealing with that dark past, right? Like mm -hmm. that, that narrative, I think, is really important to tell, mm -hmm. not just erase what happened in those areas, especially mm -hmm. to the women, right? Absolutely. And I mean, finding that information would be great. I also think that would make for great fiction that you could maybe, you know, having a novel that's based on essentially when when those houses were closed because there weren't the sailors coming in as much anymore. And to be able to, you know, where did those women go drift toward, really? I think that's an interesting narrative for a book. Not what I'm yeah. going <laughs> Uh, speaking speaking of writing, though, Ted, you said you've got right, three just, manuscripts yeah. on the go now. Uh, you talk <laughs> a little bit about how you stay motivated, how you stay interested and keep coming up with stories or finding stories worth writing and reading about. Yeah, I, actually, I'm getting. Can you hear me? I was getting a message. I'm getting disconnected. Um, OK, yeah, I was um, I mean, walking really is just walking. And I, I find. I mean, it's, yeah, there's a number of streams to that, really, but it, it's just, you know, walking obviously gets me out there, and I can see a lot of things at a very slow rate. I can I can engage things. I can take more time with things. Um, but also the, um, the, you know, tour leading as well. I'm, I've been toured the years before COVID. I was doing mainly Kyoto-based stuff for obvious and, um you know, my MO when I was doing these like 10 day tours is that I would basically only bring Japanese related reading materials and I'd be reading about things uh, in the morning before breakfast. And then a lot of that information is actually coming into play later. It would be part of my my prattle, I guess, later at some point in the day. And um, but it would be the other way around because then I'd be seeing things that I'd be engaged in and then I'd come back and be looking up what the, what the hell was that? You know, and that was really interesting. So it was sort of this this sort of this loop that was going by this feedback loop that everything was feeding each other. So that's what was the beauty of, of doing walking tours and being, I guess if 
you know, being known, I suppose, as a tour leader who does walking tours that that encourages that amount of time and just that slowness and that pace is is uh, is ideal. And just getting out there and just following, you know, what you want to see and just getting out there. If you're curious about a place, go, just go check it out. So, I mean, COVID for us domestically is now is a pretty good time because things are feeling, you know, on the, on the mend a little bit and they haven't, I mean, the door just cracked open a little bit. There's a little bit of light coming through that crack in the door from, from this week. But, um, you know, before everybody comes back, I'd say, you know, use your time well and get out there and see stuff, you know, maybe go North now when the heat's coming in, you know, but, uh, for the most part, just get out. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are in a busy place like Kamakura or Kyoto Central, uh, mm -hmm. make sure to get out early, right when places open or go yep. later in the yep. day before they close. Don't go out in the middle of the day. All the school groups are out now, yeah, I yeah. noticed, exactly. everywhere, right? It's really tough to time some of the big signs. And, um, yeah, to get those right because they're inevitably, yeah, I mean, you think, oh, it's a low season, there's nobody around, and then bang, there's a whole school group there in front of you. It's just, yeah, it's... It's tough. It's really tough. So, yeah. Uh, we have teacher type uh, recommending mm -hmm. uh, Amy Chavez story, Amy Chavez's mm -hmm. book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. that's just, uh, I think, just free plug for Amy. I think that just came out this week, if I'm not mistaken, or sometime this month it came out too. And yeah, Amy's great. And it's, if you get a chance, again, as, as, a, as an ideal way to travel, you can maybe explore. Actually, we've, we've been keeping a lot of our conversations sort of Western Japan based, well, Tohoku aside, but you could you could do worse than crafting a little tour and going out to Hiroshima and seeing the places that we talked about, but then also go over to Amy's Island, and uh, you know she generally does the Moo Bar in the summer, and you could spend some time, and she could sign a copy of the book for you. So yeah. do worse than doing a little you know inland sea tour during the summer. Plenty of places to swim and good. good oh, fish. so many great places to discover and enjoy beach life and mm -hmm. cycle mm -hmm. around. I noticed Ted that you you often do long walks, but you also cycle around while you're exploring. I I'm I'm a bike I'm a bike commuter, let's say. So I bike in the city, but I don't do much. I'm not a big, you know, spandex guy. You know, long distance riding kind of thing. That's not really my thing. I've done some as elements of tours. And I've been doing some, um, I'll be probably doing a bit more because I've been doing consulting during this COVID downtime um, with, you know, a couple, mainly one operator, essentially, and out, like sort of more to outdoor and adventure type stuff. So we'll be definitely doing more biking. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I just prefer walking. It's just a nicer speed. You know, I can just slow down with rides with friends and it's great, but they're they just want to zip through and I just always I keep seeing spin look at you know so yeah but biking yeah I'm, I'm with you I I really love walking and taking my time and mm -hmm. discovering little things along the way I I did triathlon for years and so spent mm -hmm. lots of hours training and going fast on bicycles or running and uh, now, yeah, getting older, I guess. But I, mm -hmm. I really appreciate the little things, the details. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really interested. But I think that's the same. You know, that's also, I think, very common with the long-term Japan expat or probably expat anywhere is that if you, you know, you look at maybe your own photography, if you do photography, I've noticed with my own and, and friends who've been for, here for decades that, you're, you know, you start with shooting everything, like an establishing shot, and then you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And now everybody's, you know, shooting little pieces of wood or a flower or things like that. So I think that it's, again, it's that passage from the out to the in, and that's just a common, that's just part of our voyage really. And our, part of our, our Michi, our road here in Japan. 
So yeah, I mean, just, I think slowing down and just getting more involved with the details, that's very important. Yeah. And I, I think like you too, I, I was uh, consulting with more tourism destination and tourism businesses, and I have been doing more online guiding and walking mm -hmm. tours. And I find it so insightful, the kinds of questions the people in North America and Europe are asking, mm -hmm. make me go back and research more. Mm -hmm. And like you said as well, before every tour, I'm reading new stuff about a place I've been to thousands of times, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and just having that extra new enthusiasm of new information that yeah. I can share, I think it gives that new buzz to mm -hmm. the maybe tired uh, tour that everybody seems to already know, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. I mean, I could also say if I never went to King Kakuji again, I'd probably be okay. But it's also funny because before coming to Japan, like, could not wait to go to King Kakuji, you know, and I've been a lot, but is that, you know, like that Nakasendo route, that, that classical Tsumago to Magelme route, or uh, vice versa, you know, I must have done about 30 to 40 times, but I've had clients so great to see you taking, and I was like, hey man, that's what it's all about. Cause you know, if I was just going through the motions and be here, I would be doing something totally different, you know, be doing Uber delivery or something. I don't know what I'd be doing, but but I think that's the key thing. And I'm I'm quite blessed in the sense that um, my wife is Singaporean, as I said. And so you should come to Japan before we had met, I think a couple times. But And it's great for me because that beginner's mind is contagious, really, because I'm going places like this year, we went to a few places that I haven't been for 25 years. And, you know, places I raced out to get to when I first moved up to Totori. But then it was great to go again because, well, I know more, you know. I've experienced more, I've read more, I have a better understanding. It's like seeing and seeing, you know, meeting a familiar few years later, it's a different experience. So it was so much richer. So I'm very lucky that I get, you know, beginner's mind from my clients, but I also get beginner's mind sort of in-house from my, my wife when she's here. Mm -hmm. That fresh perspective is is so key, I mm -hmm. think, to not not getting bored yourself mm -hmm. or or to keep learning. Right. I just That's love right. that. Keep learning about places you've seen so many times, but there's always something new to learn. Oh, and yeah. I, I heard that in your deep Kyoto walks videos as well. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And I mean, I'm lucky with um, I'm guiding for a company called Okuni a lot and they I love their approach to my work is that it's essentially when it says the Kyoto day on those itineraries, it just says, Ted will show you his Kyoto. And I mean, that's kind of the secret is that, you know, I think, okay, what season is it? What flowers are in bloom? What's the weather like today? Where is there at least amount of people going to be? And really it's, it's, you know, it's not like I decide on the fly, but I, you know, I, I think that they would appreciate it as well, because again, if my enthusiasm is high, that's going to be contagious as well. They're going to, they're going to feed off that. You know, if we go to the big, the big four sites again, I'm like, yeah, this is this and this, this Shogun died there and this guy, I mean, I'm not that bad, but you know, it, it just, it's, it's nicer to be able to craft the experience that you want to have, but then be able to share that as well with people that you feel like sharing it with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's tricky, isn't it? As someone involved in tourism, how do you play the hits um, mm -hmm. that people have on their list that they definitely want to see? But how do you yeah. also give a more meaningful, unique, and original experience for travelers to keep you interested as the mm -hmm. guide, but also for their benefit in the long well, term, right? For sure. And I think the key to that is free time and and 
porous schedules in the sense that they, you know, give them, it depends on your, your budget, of course, but if you do a trip, that's a 10 day trip and you wanted a guided trip, do a guided trip for seven of those days or for six of those days. And then the rest of the time, you know, I mean, you want to go to King Kaku, you want to go to Kiyomizu, you want to go to the big A-list sites and go, you don't need me. There's plenty of information out there, but when you're with me, I can show you these little nooks of the city, these little corners and edges, you know, find the balance between both is use your guidebooks, use your, your information to do the major stuff. Cause you don't need people to do that, to show you that really. As a writer, as well as a tour guide, um, then things that you find out for doing the tour become great articles or pieces yeah, that you want well, to write absolutely. more about, right? As, as I said, it's that feedback loop, you know, it keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. So yeah. yeah awesome. they, Yep, they definitely. Uh, Pamela, Pamela has said uh, from Facebook, thanks for joining, Pamela. Uh, it seems like people don't visit the historical areas where they live. Um, mm -hmm. That's so true, isn't it? Like, uh, you need to explore and learn about where you are and where you live. And then you're a much better ambassador for anybody who visits you or comes on one of your mm -hmm. tours. Uh, knowing about where you are, I think, mm -hmm. is a real skill. Yeah. And again, that's been, a, a you know, the, an odd side effect blessing of the pandemic is it's allowed us all to slow down. And it really you spent you can visit your own neighborhoods in your own areas. And I think that's where, in my opinion, that the government to travel campaign, they should have kept it only within your own local prefect, in my idea, because then you're you're not only supporting local businesses and people that are nearby, but they're, they're so down to go all the way to Okinawa or up to Hokkaido. You know, they should have kept it local and specific you show you're from kyoto and then you get to see everything in kyoto for that would have been a very good local way to do discounts it. local mm -hmm. benefits i love yeah. that and um, that's one of the things that i think is lacking that other areas seem to do well like even in hawaii if you show a local hawaii id you can get discounts you can get early booking uh, mm -hmm. opportunities we need to offer that to local people because especially in places like kyoto local people only see the negative side of mm -hmm. tourism and too many people ruining their day-to-day -day, right that's right that's right yeah yeah, yeah exactly. awesome well ted we only have about a minute is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to mention well i want to mention that yeah. your book uh deep kyoto walks is yes. available also people please check out uh, Ted's not not many videos, but good videos on your your YouTube channel. Um, also, the Lonely Planet uh, mm -hmm. Experience Japan book looks really good. And if I could plug one last thing, I'm currently in the final stages of editing. Besides the the manuscripts we talked about, but a fellow called Wes Lang, who is in charge of the Facebook group and the home page for right uh, hiking in Kyohan. Um, we're doing a, we just put together a book, which is a, it's an anthology of foreign mountaineering in Japan. So we have, you know, 20 some essays in there and we basically are wrapping it up. We're just about to start fishing for publishers now. So that hopefully would be coming out. I, I realistic timeline, maybe next year, but something that we're both excited about. And there's some amazing writing in it and it's well worth looking for. So. Yeah, awesome. And Joel Stewart has just pointed out everybody should check out your blog. And my question is, which one? You have like 10 blogs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the notes from the Nog, not that many. The notes from the Nog, the main, the main Japan related one. The others have been sort of diversions of things. But yeah, there's yeah. The Santa Fe blog is finished. The 
the French blog is a work in progress, but it's only when I'm over there, which is just summer, part of the summer. So no, okay. the notes from the nog. Notes, notes from the nog in yeah. the comments there. Mm -hmm. um, deep Kyoto book and walks thing with Michael and your blog are great for getting deeper into Kyoto and Kansai. Can you say the moon and sixpence? <laughs> Thanks for all of it. That's Thank you for your comments, yeah, everybody. Very good. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. So, thanks, Thank everyone. you so much, Ed. It's been a pleasure Enjoy. talking yeah, to you. And good luck with all your manuscripts, all your projects, all your tours. I would love to meet up and do a tour with you someday. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Get in touch next time you're down this way. So. And when you're in Hiroshima, vice versa, I would love to take you on a great walk. That would be great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Have a great weekend. See you next time. I drop the armor, now I'm bolder.